the research engineer is an explorer who advances civilization, an adventurer in ingenuity, seeking the impartial answer, learning the laws of the universe, and then putting them to work. This is Cybercrimeology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. My name is Michael, and I'm a little bit frightened by electricity. I knew a guy once who worked clearing trees that grow near high-voltage power lines. He was injured by the electricity sort of spontaneously arcing a few metres from the power lines, going through his leg and into the lift that he was working from. So you can imagine my respect for the people who are responsible for taming this magical beast to make modern life possible. So it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Hadis Karimipo, Director of the Smart Cyber Physical Systems Lab and Associate Professor in the Department of Electrical and Software Engineering at the University of Calgary. They're doing some really interesting research there in the cyber physical space, as you'll hear later. First though, I wanted to ask Dr. Karimipo about working as an electrical engineer and the journey from there into academia. The main reason that I was interested in electrical engineering was that I was always uh, interested in math and physics, and I was really good at it. And I generally like the logic and rule. And with math, you kind of have both of these. It kind of makes sense. So I was enjoying this uh, two courses. And later when I joined high school, um, I found that electrical engineering is one of the basically career that you can pursue. So it, and it has lots of math and physics in it. So that was the main uh, reason that I went to uh, electrical. I chose an electrical engineering as a major. And um, later when I went to the field, um, uh, I was at, at, at the beginning, actually, I was more interested to join the industry. Um, I was seeing a career in industry for myself. But after a couple of years, um, I kind of felt that um, it kind of bothers me that there are not many people in this field, not many faculty member, female faculty member in the field. And um, I was thinking that if I become an educator in the field, if I become a faculty member, then I can help other uh, girls to be more interested in the field. I can train more people for the field. So that was also a motivation um, to basically work towards PhD and become a faculty member. So almost I say at the end of my bachelor, uh, I decided that I wanted to continue to PhD and then become a professor. Uh, overall, I remember that it was always uh, difficult because uh, electrical engineering is one of the male-dominated field in engineering compared to, I don't know, chemical or industrial engineering. We have more female uh, in those fields. At least that was what I see uh, those years that I was in a school. But in electrical engineering, uh, we see a lot less uh, female and specifically in cybersecurity if I wanted to choose uh, as a subdomain, which I'm working right now. Um, so working in this field, it's, uh, it's, it's good because it has lots of good challenges that I like, and I know lots of other female enjoy it, but it's also, mm, there are lots of times that you might feel being alone, uh, because probably you're the only female in the room and, uh, lots of time you'll see that you're not treated the same as others when you go to work in terms of the salary, in terms of all the um, rights and things that you receive from the 
environment that you're working. It's like male-dominated environment. Everything is kind of designed for men at the first place. They were thinking about only men working in those environments. So being feeling isolated and feeling alone is one of the things that was always bothering me. But um, I can admit that it's getting better. Every day it's getting better when I compare it to a few years ago. Uh, now I see a lot more female who are uh, basically joining the field. I see uh, lots of uh, basically people that uh, don't uh, judge people based on their gender, see people the same way. Um, only judge people based on their technical knowledge and based on the effort that they're making. So the situation is getting better every day. But still, there are some challenges that all women faces in the uh, this field, and I am the same as others. Like the gender bias, you you will see the gender gap. You will see here, you're the only female in the room, and uh, most of the time, I would say that you might end up working harder to be seen. So. These are challenges. But on the side, if you're interested in the field, uh, you will really enjoy it because uh, there is uh, always something for everyone, uh, no matter what their interest is. If they're interested to be a developer, if they're interested in the technical work, if they're interested in the soft skill, there is always something in the different field in the STEAM for different women to pursue. It's not like just some job which are too technical, which might like too tough for some woman. So the challenge is there, but you will enjoy it. That That's actually my experience. Did you get tougher because of that experience? I mean, I don't like the word tough. Uh, I don't really know how to understand your experience because, I mean, I've never, I've never had that. Yeah, you know, uh, personally, I was a tough person, an independent person. Uh, when I compare myself to my sister or other girl around me, but definitely that will affect your personality because it's like you learn that you have to fight if you wanted to achieve your dream and you have to fight harder because you'll see that you are in the same position as uh, your colleague or other student, but still it's like people cannot see you. People uh, won't give you the opportunities. So you learn that you have to fight um, and that makes you tougher. It's like uh, after a while, it becomes a part of your personality that you don't want it to uh, give up. You want it to fight. You want it to achieve what you're dreaming about. It will definitely affect the personality a little bit because it's like it, it's not ready for you. It's not like people are offering it to you. You can just choose it. It's You have to fight for it to gain it. Yeah, definitely it will affect the personality. I would say I'm tougher now. It's very hard for me to to even know what questions to ask about that kind of experience because the the system that makes it more difficult to you is more or less hidden from me. I have to I have mm-hmm. to actively yeah. seek it out and and see it. So, I mean, is there is there an, a piece of advice you could give someone like me who is in terms of gender in a in a empowered mm-hmm. position and in terms of I mean I'm I'm white and middle aged as well so I'm I'm right in the sweet spot for getting everything handed to me on a plate yeah how how do I see what what's been hidden from me in terms of systemic um, discrimination I think the the first thing that people should do is to totally forget about gender uh, even even having women in engineering I think it's it's kind of it is kind of wrong we just ha- should have engineers like it's all all people are the same so if people start to forget about all these gender things believe that something is more difficult for a female something is easier for men like this is a better field for men 
science or this is a better field for uh, females. All this stuff basically push some other girls in the society to think that I'm not good for this specific career because people, it's like the society fed it to them that math is difficult. This environment is tough. This is a harsh, basically, job that you wanted to do. But at least right now that everything depends on the digital technology, you're working with computer, you don't need like arm power. You don't need this type of strength, which is more related to the physics of basically men's. You just need a bright mind. And that's something that everyone can have as long as you give them the opportunity to basically work and show themselves. So as long as you forget about the fact that this is a female, this is a girl's, and give them the same opportunity, that would be a huge help. And the language that we use also, we have to be careful about it because most of the time, specifically in industry, the way that they advertise for the job, the way that describe the nature of the job, sometimes look very harsh or a tough environment, male-dominated environment, and that might scare some other female. So we have to focus in kind of different type of language that is more uh, easier for a female to understand. For example, if I wanted to uh, talk about cybersecurity, we usually talk about hacker that are hacking, damaging to the system. So if we all talk about all this stuff, which looks like a harsh environment, it might scare lots of female, basically, um, students. But if we talk differently like that as a security engineer, you can help the society, you can find solution, you can basically alleviate the situation. This type of language is easier for basically a female student to understand. It's like the same things. We just have to use different type of language. And the other thing that I think people can do is to provide mentor, a mentoring opportunity, uh, maybe more mentoring opportunity, I would say, for female, uh, basically a student or female their female colleague, and maybe having a better recruitment practices that would also help because uh, it's it's really unfair to compare male and female candidate the same way. Because uh, as I said, because of all these barriers through the years, lots of female engineer or female student didn't get the opportunity to show themselves, to show their potential. So you cannot basically use the same criteria at the time of the hiring. You just have to see if that person used all the opportunity that was provided to her or not. And that would be uh, the right way to judge their qualification rather than just putting their CV side to side. The other thing is that that I, I noticed that it bothers lots of uh, the other female is that sometimes people think that it helps if they act too nice with their female colleague. It's like that uh, she she's achieving some sort of the, uh, achievement promotion and people are congratulating a lot compared to what they do for a male colleague. It's like that that way people would feel that is it like the only thing that I could achieve? It's like too much of appreciation of what a person is doing, too much of making it a big deal. It, it hurts the person more because it's like that you think that people didn't expect you to be able to get to this specific position to basically achieve this specific achievement. It's like that you'll see, oh, they were underestimating me. Now it's like making a big of a deal out of it. You know what I mean? These type of behavior also hurts people a lot. So just, just act the same way that you would act for your male colleague. If you're happy, just be happy the same amount. If you wanted to congratulate, just don't go too far. Don't, don't make it a big of a deal. So the person won't think that they, they, didn't, they didn't think of me to achieve such an uh, achievement or promotion in my career.
if you if you use the same type of uh, mindset that you would do for your male colleague, that would uh, help a lot. So what makes an engineer an engineer? I think the most important things that you need to have to become an engineer is to be creative. Because if, if you wanted to do the same things, repeat the same thing, then you will be a technician. You're not engineer. engineer. Engineering is attached with creativity, thinking outside of the box, being ready to do new things. You don't want it to do something which is already done. So this creativity, I would say, is the most important uh, skill, actually, that you need to uh, have to be able to become a successful engineer. Obviously, you need a strong background in some specific, basically, courses uh, and all this stuff. But I think the most important part is creativity, to be able to see different problems from different perspectives. And actually, that, that's another reason that uh, we need to have a diverse environment and with male and female. And we need to add more female in this field, because if we only have male engineer, then it's like that we're looking at the problem from one single perspective. But when we have a diverse group of employees, and it's already proved uh, in different companies that when you have a diverse group of employees, that would uh, basically help a lot. And that would uh, bring lots of innovative ideas that would basically increase lots of profit, productivity and everything. So creative problem solvers. Yeah, that that would be the most important thing you need to be able to do as an engineer. That, that sounds similar to what would be at the core of what, what you would hope from a scientific researcher. Mm. Working in academia, mm-hmm. is there a process difference for an engineer approaching a, a research project to, to what you see someone who would describe themselves as a scientist approaching a research problem? Yeah, in, in science, we don't have that much of hands-on experience that we have in engineering the schools. In engineering school, we teach students how to be creative, but we teach them in an environment that they can actually build something, create something. So it's not just thinking about it. It's more hands-on experience that uh, basically helps. So we have lots of courses that help a student to understand how to design something, how to commercialize it, how to combine different fields of engineering together to develop something new and novel. But we don't, we don't have that much of it in the science in terms of hands-on experience, I would say. We don't have that many design courses or hands-on experience, um, basically lab uh, for a science uh, field. But still in the uh, engineering school, we also have lots of science courses like math and physics. But it's like those courses teach you the fundamental. And when you um, work as an engineer, you have to learn how to apply those fundamental and theoretical knowledge to real world application. In in, in engineering domain, we have real world application of science, what we learn as a scientist or in science courses. So if a, a researcher like myself, who's sort of coming from a humanities perspective, wanted to work with an engineer, would the trick be to try and make sure that there was something practical, like there was a, something to be built? Yes, yeah, that would be, I would, say, I would say that would be the bridge between the science and engineers, because we, as an engineer, we have to build something. We cannot just come up with a theory and say that would work in such a situation, unless we build it, actually, unless we uh, work with it in a real environment, we cannot say that we design something. And designing something, developing something is an important task for an engineer. Otherwise, uh, everything would be like remain in books or in papers. 
we cannot basically actually touch it in a real environment. That's that's the main difference in the engineering field. Obviously, they need to have some foundation uh, related to the science courses, but uh, the main thing that they need to do is to learn that creativity and get that skills to translate those fundamental knowledge to real world application. And that's not an easy thing to do, actually. It, it's really difficult because uh, you, you have to think outside of the box. You have to see how you can relate all those physics law, all those equation to something that is in front of you, something that is actually working. So you wanted to modify it, you wanted to control it, you wanted to make it secure or things like that. That's a really neat segue into something that's sort of conceptually similar, mm-hmm. perhaps, which is your smart cyber physical systems lab mm-hmm. and, and the yeah. research you're doing there. Yes. So what is a what is a cyber physical system? Yeah, by definition, uh, cyber physical system are those systems that has both cyber component, like IT component, connection to the internet, communication network, and physical component. And actually, it's, it's like a very broad topic and it's not for one specific domain. Our critical infrastructure right now are example of cyber physical system. Our health care system, our transportation system, smart grid, all of these are example of cyber physical system. And uh, it's like nowadays we have a lot more cyber physical system compared to, I don't know, 100 years ago. If I wanted to talk specifically about uh, power utility, I would say 100 years ago, we would call them just a physical system because they were designed to generate electricity, deliver the electricity to a specific location, and that was all. There was no connection between different components over internet. There was no connection from endpoint user uh, to the system. So that was a pure physical system, which was working in an isolated environment. But right right now, uh, in the era of Internet of Things, like all different devices in each sector, they are connected to each other. They're sharing information with each other. So we have both cyber and physical devices connected to each other. And that's the concepts of cyber physical system. Why Why would we, why on earth are we doing this? Why would mm-hmm. we bother connecting, say, the, the electrical grid to the internet? It, it has lots of advantages, actually. The, one of the advantages is that the way that people are using electricity is changed. It's There is a huge demand for electricity consumption compared to 100 years ago when we just invented these utility uh, centers and the power delivery and all these systems. So we need a lot more energy. So we're not able to provide that amount of energy just based on the fossil fuel uh, sources. So we need to have renewable energy sources. We need to have solar cells. We need to have the different power storage devices. We need to have distributed generation, lots of different devices. And when you have all these different devices, you have to connect to the, uh, connect them to each other. Otherwise, you won't have a unified system to deliver the energy. So that means these devices should be connected. When they are connected to each other, they need to communicate with each other. Otherwise, you don't know how much energy you have in that specific station, how much energy you can get from a wind turbine, how much energy you can store in your battery, for example. So because of these needs, we have to connect a different source of energy together. And that means they need to basically communicate with each other. And then 
we need to control these components because they are like located in distributed location. Uh, so you, you have to have one unified control center to be able to monitor all these. And again, for that, we need lots of communication channels to link all these components and subsystem together, and then uh, you would be able to uh, control them. So overall, with the smart grid, we have a lot more efficient and less expensive uh, source of energy. But it also has its own disadvantages. And one of the disadvantages, or let's say challenges actually, is the security challenges. And uh, I think the main reason for that is that we were kind of rushed into making everything digitalized. Uh, it's like that we had old infrastructure, those infrastructure with, which were designed with no security in mind. And then all of a sudden we're connecting all those devices together, the, those devices that are not designed with security in mind. And that, that's what caused problem. If we start from scratch, if we design everything based on a security in mind, we won't have that many problem. But it will take time because these infrastructure are old infrastructure, very expensive infrastructure, and electricity is some, something that everyone relies on, on it for their everyday life. So you cannot just shut down the whole system and build it from the scratch. So it, it takes time, many years. It takes time, many years to change different layer. And eventually we can get to a point that everything is secure and we don't suffer from that many cyber attack. But definitely we cannot uh, ignore the uh, advantages because without a smart grid, without all this communication, we won't be able to fulfill the demand. So what are we talking about here in terms of possible risks? What's, what's the kind of potential here from having these things connected? The vulnerability is that because, because as I said, there are lots of uh, devices which are located in distributed location uh, and connected over internet, we have lots of uh, pivot point, endpoint devices that are easy for cyber criminal to get access to. And it, they, they can have different basically motivations. Sometimes it's like um, nation nation sponsored type of attack. When a country wanted to attack another country, that was something that happened in Stuxnet in Iran, uh, and or something that happened in Ukraine cyber attack in 2015, uh, which was people uh, basically claimed that Russia was behind it. So that was problem between different nations, they wanted to damage uh, each other's economy. And obviously that will damage it. Aside from the uh, fear that will uh, cost for people, it will damage the economy also when you lose electricity for a couple of hours, like everything is shut down. Uh, but aside from all these utility target type of attack, because right now we're using lots of smart metering and smart home devices, that could be also another reason for cyber criminal to get access to these uh, systems because they are collecting lots of data. With those data, they can uh, figure out your li uh, daily life activity and then do a lo lots of things. They, they, they know when they're home and you're not home. So that, that's the simple, uh, that, that's the easiest things that they can figure out from those information. So those are valuable information. And uh, there are also other ways that people can use this type of data set. They can sell these data sets and for different type of uh, branding and advertisement. So when, when someone knows what is your daily life activity, how your life is, they can basically kind of advertise for you, push your mind to think differently, to think you need something that you might not need. So the data can be used for advertisement, which not everyone like it. Lots of people are against it. It's like against privacy of people to be pushed 
to think differently uh, based on the data that is collected from them. Um, other uh, type of uh, basically attack that can happen is that they, they can damage different components in the field. They might be competitors that who are basically selling those the specific infrastructure. So if this, those infrastructure is damaged, the only thing that utility center can do is to replace them. So it's like that they do it so they can have customer for themselves. Or uh, they can damage these uh, and they can cause blackout uh, power shutdown that also damage the economy. They, they have lots of important information. If they uh, if a cyber criminal attack the control center in utility center, there are lots of uh, valuable information. They can sell those information in dark web or other basically places and they can gain lots of money. Information data is always important. It's no matter if it's in the utility center, if it's a banking system, if it's in your cell phone, it's always valuable. So having a like a smart meter that's that's very accurately reading my electricity usage very often, um, mm-hmm. it, it would know mm-hmm. if, say, in the morning, the the amount of electricity that's being used in my house goes from almost nothing to an electric toothbrush mm-hmm. to a, a coffee machine to a, a television they would be able to understand my morning routine yes that's um that's that's quite frightening yes yeah they can find all this information and all this uh, information from the smart home devices one of the main problem is that uh, we don't still know who owns the data if you if you dig in it, you'll see that everyone can use the data. The company that is selling you the product, the utility company, we don't know who is responsible for this data, who owns the data. And these data can be used for lots of different purposes. Uh, they can use it for electricity auction. They can use it to figure out how much electricity they need to provide for each neighborhood. And that will affect the price of the electricity. So if someone manipulates these data, that will manipulate the whole system, the amount of energy that is produced, the price of the electricity. So there are lots of things that they can do with these data sets. That, that's why I'm saying it's really valuable. The the pandemic and, and ransomware has taught us some lessons about infrastructure and, and which of those infrastructures could be considered critical. Um, your center has done a little bit of work looking at the agricultural sector. And, and I remember in the last year or so, there were a few incidents affecting, say, meat production or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, How has the the introduction of cyber-physical systems to agriculture sort of created risk for farmers that they, they, I mean, are they they ready? Do we have systems set up to support security issues with cyber-physical systems on farms? Unfortunately, we don't have that many uh, product or solution or even a guideline for agriculture sector compared to other sector. They are far behind financial sectors, uh, utility centers, or health centers. We're still far from that place in the agriculture sector. But uh, they are as vulnerable as other sectors because what happens is that right now we have everything in the farm which are uh, connected with with each other over the internet. We have lots of robots. We have drones, we have uh, lots of basically equipment that uh, farmers are using nowadays to basically remotely control their farm. So again, 
we have lots of important and valuable information here and manipulating those devices, controlling those devices in a farm uh, can damage the product. Even if you change the temperature for a little bit in the middle of the summer or uh, in the winter in a barn, that will affect the health of your livestock. So that can have lots of damages. So this sector is also vulnerable because of all these usage of the digital technology. And uh, the situation here is a little bit worse if an attack happens because people are not ready about it at all. And uh, most of the people who are in the end user in this field are farmer. They don't have technical knowledge. They don't have general knowledge. And lots of them are not even aware that the data that they're collecting could be useful for cyber criminal. And um, I, I remember that we were talking with some of them. We were doing some sort of market research. And even lots of those farmer things that the company that they are purchasing their devices from them, they are taking care of their security. So they're not they don't even know that their system is not secure. So um, I would say compared to other sectors, we need a lot more training and awareness in this sector. And we are working on it to have some sort of workshop. We're preparing different video for the awareness of the farmers and other people who are working in this field. Uh, because uh, if, if attack happens in the scale that is happening in other sectors, definitely that will um, cause lots of damages. And we are talking about food that lots of people are consuming. So that could have catastrophic damages. We have to uh, be proactive about it. We have to think ahead of the time rather than waiting to suffer from it and then uh, find a solution. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to think of the the impact of, say, disabling the pasteurization cycle on milk or, mm -hmm. or yeah. storing things at the wrong yeah. temperature. Yeah, exactly. That's great that you're you're at least doing something. Yeah, we're, we're trying to basically develop some sort of security and event management solution for this sector based on the devices that they have. So at least we can observe what are the normal and abnormal activity here so we can inform the farmers if there are some sort of abnormal activity so they can plan about it. We're also thinking about educating them, how they can protect their data, how they can do just simple, easy steps that at least have the minimum level of protection. That would be also a huge help. So that, that's what we're focused right now. So you mentioned this a little when you were explaining smart grids, and I, and I guess it in a, in a kind of way it also applies to um, technology in, in agriculture and other sectors. But I'm, I'm guessing part of this problem is that technology is advancing very rapidly. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the major problem, the main problem here, actually. We are adapting the technology without being ready for it. It's like we're rushing into it. We're not thinking about fundamentals that we need to set at first and then moving to our digital, basically, technology. That, that's the problem. Digital technology by itself, by nature, is a really good technology. It can help us a lot. But we need some sort of safeguarding. We need some sort of foundation to be able to save to our we need training. And that, that's also one thing that we're missing. When, when you talk with an average person, they, usually they don't think that they could be a target of an, a cyber criminal because people are not aware that no matter what they're doing, they are using these digital devices and they are providing data. They, are, they have data, they own data, and data is really, really valuable. 
So no matter what type of data you have, it's always uh, valuable for cyber criminal. And even if you don't have an important role in a high technic- um, highly technical role in your company, in your business, you could be used as an end point for a cyber criminal to get access to larger organization or higher level through you. When you use an unsecured device at your work, when you work from home and your device is unsecure, it's like that you're uh, making a bridge for cyber criminals to get access to those more difficult places. I'm, I'm trying to take your advice and use less aggressive terminology. So I'm going I'm to phrase it like this. Um, some things with thorns also have roses. Technology is advancing rapidly. That's a problem. But technology is advancing rapidly. So it also presents some potentials for solutions. So one of the um, sexy technologies is AI and machine learning. How can that help us with these security problems? Uh, with the security problem and with most of the problem which is related to the data, we are uh, suffering from having a huge amount of data and not having having enough resources to process those data uh, in a minimum uh, time which is required. We have lots of basically data which is useful. We can use them to monitor the performance of the system, to basically predict the performance of the system, but we don't have enough resources, specifically if you wanted to use human resources. We don't have enough resources to process those data sets. And that's when AI and machine learning are very, very useful because they can uh, work with huge amount of data in a limited amount of time, and they can draw lots of important information information from data. As a human, if I look at a certain sets of data set, I might not be able to link between different components of those data. Even if it's a small sets of data, then you have lots of features, lots of points that are that you're collecting data from it. It's hard to figure out how they are related to each other. But with machine learning and AI, you can figure out what is the relationship between different data sets that you have in the system. You can figure out if there is something abnormal going on in the system or not. And if you go a little more advanced, you can even predict what will happen in the near future based on the previous basically behavior of the system. And that helps a lot in terms of the crisis when it happens, when a cyber attack happens, I don't know, in any sector, like in a utility center, even a few minutes can save lots of uh, money uh, and resources. What research do you have going on at the Smart Cyber Physical Systems Lab at the moment? And and is there anything that you're really hoping to get into in, in the near future? Uh, yeah, our, our focus right now is in a different type of cyber physical system. We work in the um, agriculture system. We work in a smart grid system. And we are uh, working also in uh, operational technology, industrial control system. These are all some sort of subset of cyber physical system. But these are the cases that we are working uh, with. And our our ultimate goal is to develop solutions that are customized for cyber physical systems, not just for IT system. The main problem that we are trying to address is the gap between operational technology and informational technology. For a long period of time, all security solution that we have was only focused in the IT layer, information technology. So people designed those solutions with those perspective in mind. And that was for the time that we didn't have cyber physical system. But right now we have cyber physical system, we have connection of cyber and physical component. And for these type of devices, we use something which is called operational technology. 
But unfortunately, what we have in terms of security solution is only designed for IT technology. So there is a gap here which we are trying to address. We cannot use the existing solution directly, and it's difficult and challenging to design uh, solutions for the OT part. So we are trying to kind of use the existing solution, uh, modify them, add different components to them to be suitable for different uh, operational technology and cyber physical system. And for that, we are trying to take advantages of AI and machine learning to be able to basically reduce the time for the processing to uh, be able to extract more meaningful knowledge out of the data. That's our focus right now. And we're hoping to be able to have similar uh, solution like the SIEM solution, security event management solution, which we have in the IT domain for the OT domain as well. Wonderful stuff. Well, I look forward to seeing what comes out of that. And um, please keep keeping my um my, my cheese safe oh. <laughs> um, and uh yeah keep on doing what you're doing yeah sure perfect thank you very much thank you again to dr karimipal for sharing her insights and as always if you'd like to learn more the details about the smart cyber physical systems lab can be found in the show notes this has been Cybercrimeology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. It's produced by me, but it's only made possible by the kind guests who share their time and their research. If you have a question or a comment, you can reach me at, at Cybercrimeology on Twitter or by old-fashioned email at cybercrimeology at gmail.com.